Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. 1 verse 9, and then we're going to go through, uh, through 11 through 17. I've titled this message, I've never preached this message ever before, ever, ever. I've never preached this message before. I believe that this is something that the Lord gave me. Uh, just while I was in Seattle and even in, in, in uh, here this last week. And I'm entitling it, When Jesus Comes in the House. Come on, say, Jesus is in the house. And I'm not talking about a building. You will see what I'm going to say. There's many parallel, prophetic parallels of what I'm going to share with you today. So I want you to listen. You got dressed and go to church, so let's get excited. You can say amen. You can stand up and shout. You can point. Come on, say Amen. <laughs> All right, so let's get your Bibles out, Matthew 21, and let's eat from the Lord today. Matthew 21, verse 9. There's, listen, this is a, a power-packed scripture that I'm going to give you so much revelation, you're going to be running inside your heart spiritually. All right, Matthew 21, verse 9. Now watch this. I'm going to ask you to read this as the, you've read it for the first time because I guarantee you it's not going to go the way that you've heard it before, Okay. Then the multitudes who went before Jesus and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're singing praises to God, singing praises to Jesus. Obviously, this is the Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he's on a donkey, we, we kind of limit this story to like, you know, like Palm Sunday. But it's not just a Palm Sunday. So, uh, sermon is a Bible message, right? And so he's coming into Jerusalem. And watch this. Praises and worship are bringing up to Jesus, right? Immediately after he gets this accolades, right? You would think he's going to sit for a while and say, man, I'm just going to let people praise me. I'm going to let people just worship me and sing to me. I want you to see what it says in verse 11, because this is the main context of what I want to preach to you this morning, okay? Now, verse 11 through 17 says this, then the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from, from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple. Say, he went into the temple. Of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. Say, in the temple. And overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Say, tables. Say, seats. I'm saying that on purpose as a foreshadow. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Then, then, everybody say then, then the blind and the lame came, watch this, to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you ever, never heard or read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out to the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. I want to say this to you. I want everyone to listen because this message is called Jesus Comes Into the House, and it's not a building, even though uh, this, in this story he was talking about a physical temple, but it's very different in the New Testament. I want you to see this because when Jesus comes into the house, he starts addressing things in the house. 
Whenever Jesus comes to the house, he addresses things and start rearranging things in the house. And it may not be very comfortable, comfortable for you, but he's so committed to get us to look like Jesus that he's coming in the house. Now, now spiritually speaking, the house of the Lord is you. Now, I want to say this with you because there's p things that, that Jesus did in the physical temple that parallel what I believe he's wanting to do in the spiritual temple. There's going to be four major things that I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm not going to get there yet. That he did when he went into the temple that he's going to do when he comes in your spiritual temple. Even now, as a prophetic movement, he's coming faster to your temple. Now, if we have been born again and we're saved, then, there, then obviously the Bible, and I'm going to tell you, says we're the temple of God, right? But I want you to see this first sign up. When Jesus... This first point, when Jesus comes to the house, he comes to set the house in order. Come on, put that first slide up there, team. When Jesus comes to the house, he comes to set the house in order. I could just go home in that area right there. It's time for the body of Christ to set their house in order. And I'm not just talking about your families. You do need to do that. You do need to set your physical home in order. You do need to set your family in order. But it's time that the body of Christ sets the temple in order. The temple where the Holy Spirit lives in. And whenever Jesus comes in the temple, he always puts things in order. Oh, listen, listen. Every time, every time, whether it's healing somebody, whether it's delivering somebody, he's always making wrong things right in the temple. Now watch this. In this story, they just finished celebrating Jesus and praise him. And he did not pay attention to uh, so much to let that move him to not take action into this temple. And he came in there and he didn't allow that. But in actuality, it, from a distance, it seems that Jesus was rude and insensitive. But in actuality, it's because of his great passion, his zeal, and his love for the temple or for the house that he wanted to move swiftly so that the house won't fall into spiritual decay and corruption. So he had to move with swiftness. Let me tell you something. Today, they're spiritually speaking, prophetically speaking, Jesus is coming to your temple, to your house. And I'm, gonna, I'm here to say this with you because this is so important for you to understand that the Bible says, whoever's texting me, don't do that because I just got to, I just got to, whatever. Okay. So G, now watch this. Spiritually speaking, say, I'm the temple. Now the Bible says he does not dwell with temples made with hands. Now this is, this is in, incredible. Just as a review, he says, God Almighty does not dwell in temples made with hands. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to go really quick in these foundational scriptures, and then I'm going to tell you these four prophetic things that he did in the temple that I never saw, okay? We only think of him, a picture of Jesus violently tipping over tables. He did a lot more than that in the temple, all right? Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Look at what it says. Acts chapter 7, verse 44 through 50. Look what it says. It says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, listen, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Are you following me? Which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. You're following me? 
who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place, oh glory to God, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, everybody say however. The Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. Listen, as the prophet said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What, uh, what house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? His hand, has not my hand made all these things? So the book of Acts says that the Most High does not dwell in, in, in temples made with hands. And at the beginning of this scripture that I just read, Jesus uses temple and house interchangeably in the same scripture. You can't, you can't miss this. He uses temple and the word house interchangeably in the same scripture. He, he talks about it all throughout that, that triumphal entry when he went into the temple, okay? And, and more so than this, the greatest analogy in the Bible to dictate of Jesus' house or the house of the Lord is not only a physical building that it is you, it's found in Corinthians. That is the greatest New Testament scripture of what the Bible says our life, watch this, our bodies are actually responsible to abide and dwell God in them. This is a crazy thought, especially if you're living, if you're wilding out out there, that if you are a Christian, I'm here to tell you that your body, your life is the house of God. Jesus is about to come to his house. And rearrange some spiritual furniture that we've had in there unattended to, uninvited for a long time. The greatest example is in Corinthians. I want you to read this real quick, and then I'm gonna I'm giving you foundation. I'm gonna give you some really good meat in, the, in just a second. First Corinthians 6, verse 18 in the NLT. And the NLT says this: run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as the as this one does. Oh, I could preach for an hour on that. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, I'm not, speak, I'm not harping on sexual immorality, but let the, let the chips fall where they land. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God. Your body was given to you by God so that the Holy Spirit can live in there. Watch this. Watch this. I want you to shout this from the rooftop. You do not belong to yourself. You, you can't go any further. You cannot be offended with me. If you don't understand, if you understand this, there's no way you can be offended with God. And there's no way you can be offended with me. The reason people get offended is because they don't understand that you do not belong to yourself once you give your life to the Lord. You no longer belong to yourself. Your life is not your own. And that's why you are frustrated because you're acting like the owner when you're the leasee. Your, your life is not your own. Look at what it says. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Keep going to the next verse. Next verse. For God, ooh, this is why he could say this with confidence. God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. You must honor God with your body. Why? Because he's, your body is his house. 
he's coming to the temple, your house, and he's realizing that there's things that have been in there unwelcome that are against the will of God for a long time. But with zeal, he's coming to his house again. With zeal, he's coming to you again, and he's looking at, listen, put that last scripture up there, guys. Put that last scripture up there. It says, it says, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price, so you must honor God with your body. Listen, you are the house. Say, I'm the house. Say, Jesus is coming to my house. Say, Jesus is coming to my house. Mm. You know what I find it interesting? I find it interesting that Jesus went into the temple and started dealing with things right after praise and worship. Right after they worshiped him, right after they sang Hosanna, they were singing praises to the Lord, immediately he went into the temple. What does that tell me spiritually and prophetically? That praise and worship, when you decide to get your life right, come on, and you decide to worship a little, and you decide to start singing to God, you're not only singing for the purpose of getting goosebumps. When you get into singing, and when you get into worshiping, and you get into praising, God starts revealing things about your heart and about your house that was never there. It was always there, but now all of a sudden, through intimacy, he starts increasing his voice. Through intimacy, he starts revealing things. I saw two things. What happened after they praised God that he went into the temple, and number one, he starts dealing with things. Watch this. And then he starts shaking some things in you, not because he's a mean God, because he wants everything to remain unshakable in you. The reason why you're being shaken is not because God is mad at you. It's because he's tired of you falling for everything. Come on, somebody. He is tired of you falling for everything, and he wants to shake the inside of your temple so that you could be unshakable. Have you ever shook, shook a tree that has fruit? And, and at first, you know, the, 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 the real lazy fruit. Come on, say amen. The, the really immature fruit, the really undeveloped fruit, it, the, you can, they look really strong on the tree. But when it's shaken, it really gives the true picture of what kind of fruit it is. When you shake that tree, whole bunch of mangoes start and avocados, glory to God. They start falling in oranges, right? And it's fun after a while. Look at all these fruit coming off. That's not fun. That's fun for you. But it's, it's really revealing the identity of the fruit. The Bible says there's some that think they're strong. Less, don't think you're strong unless you fall, right? Revelation says you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So he starts shaking, right? Then after a while, after all these fruits fall off the tree, you start shaking the tree again, and you see fruit there that it refuses to fall. It refuses. I don't care how much you could throw a rock in there. It's like, I ain't moving up here. I'm strong. I've been rooted in this tree for a long time, and you ain't plucking me out just because I get offended or shaken a little bit. The reason why he comes into the temple is to shake you for one main reason. Listen, listen. So you could become unshakable. So watch this. So the things that remain in you cannot be moved by the enemy anymore. Cannot be moved by what a pastor says or doesn't say. I'm going to church. Whether we're, we're, that kind of fruit says, I'm going to be obedient whether nobody listens to me, whether nobody gives me accolades, whether nobody says hello to me after church. You know how many people and Christians leave church because no one said hello to them? And even though that is sad, it's, it's sad from the church side. It's sad from the individual side that we base our commitment to God because someone did not say hello to us. Now watch. This is amazing to me because Hebrews 12 
says what I'm trying to say. Now, all this is foundation. I'm getting into the deep thing right now. Now, Hebrews 12, are you enjoying this? Now, watch this. Hebrews 12, say this, say this with me. Say, I'm being shaken in my temple so I could become unshakable when trials come. Hebrews chapter 12, look at this, watch this, NLT, Hebrews 12, verse 26, it's on your screen. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another, watch this, promise. Promise? Wait, shaking is a promise? I'm going to cope the promises of God over my life. Shake, I'm going to shake you. No, 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 I don't want that promise. I want the promise of, like, you'll never leave me or forsake me, and, you, and you're, you're going to provide for me. God, you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's the promise I want. He goes, yeah, I quote those promises, but there's another promise. Watch this. When God spoke from Mount Zion, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. What's the promise? Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. Watch this. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Next verse. Verse 27, this means that all of creation, all of creation, that means if you're here, you're all of creation, all of creation will be shaken and removed. I'm going to shout here, so that only unshakable things will remain. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. He explains the reason for the shaking. He's not shaking you because he's like, I want to flex my muscles. I want to tell you how strong I am and how weak you are. He goes, I'm going to shake those things that don't belong in your temple out of you because I love you so much so that only unshakable things remain. You know why you give in to to offense real easy? Because you still have shakable things in there. You know why you get mad real easy and offended and bitter easy? Because you still have shakable things. You know why you have a lot of relational problems and no one can trust you? Because you still have shakable things. I believe in this season of the body of Christ that Jesus is coming in his temple in a greater way to fix things up inside of you. He's coming so that we can start getting our house in order. Oh, God. Say Jesus in the house. Come on, say, Jesus is in the house. It's time to get the house in order. It's time to get the house in order. Now, there are things that I'm going to share. Here are the four things, and I'm going to break each one down. There's four major things in the opening scripture that Jesus did in the physical temple that parallel what he's going to do in the spiritual temple. Are you guys with me? You can say amen. All right, so I'm going to say it again. There's four things. Say four. That Jesus did in, when he went into the physical temple, okay, that parallel what he's going to do in the spiritual temple. And now, the, the, so the first thing is this. When Jesus came into the, into the temple, Jesus cleansed the temple. Hello? That's the wrong slide. <laughs> when, Jesus, when Jesus came into the temple... The first thing he did, hear me now, don't lose me, was cleanse the temple. Everybody say cleanse. I used to think the first thing that Jesus did was overturn stuff, but he didn't. The first thing Jesus did when he went into the temple was not start overturning tables. That's what we think. The Bible says, and when he went into the temple, he started driving out those that sold for self-gain. He started driving out the things in the temple to purify the temple. Cleansing the temple speaks of purification. The first thing that Jesus wants to do in this hour in a greater way in your temple is come to your temple to clean house. 
Now, that's a good old-fashioned preaching that a lot of people don't like. But let me tell you, we like, we like shouting messages that God's going to give you a boat and a house and a, and, and a lot of money. We love those messages. But when he says, I'm coming to clean house, no one says amen. No one says amen. But God is coming to, watch this, because of his love, purify his house. And it's called holiness. He's coming, so, so, so watch this. Jesus desires to drive out the enemies of our soul. Come on, say amen. amen. That's causing any kind of bondage. But spiritually speaking, you and I have to be sensitive enough to see those things in our temple and not get prideful and say uh, it, that it's not in there. We got to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to cooperate with Jesus and surrender so that he could start cleaning and driving things out of my mentality, of my life. But I have news for you. He won't do it without your cooperation. He is not going to physically stop you from sinning. You have to have that cooperation to do that. So, so, so watch this. Jesus drove things out, but we need to agree with him. Now, that previous slide that you had, now is the time for it. Some of the things that are in our spiritual temple, this is still number one, okay, that we need to allow. Now you're going to shout with this. Some of the things that are in our spiritual temple that we need to allow Jesus, watch this, to drive out. Everybody say drive out. Remember, remember, this is key for prophetically. The first thing Jesus did was not overturn things yet. He first came to drive things out. Hello? So I've, I've identified about four or five different little things that, that are not little, that, are, that I believe need to be driven out of the temple of God, not only physically, but spiritually. What I'm talking about today is your spiritual temple. Look at the first thing that I put up there. The first thing that needs to be uh, driven out, and, I, and, I, and it's not in any order, the lust of the flesh. Now, now I don't want to get too deep on, on when it comes to First John, but I believe as just like there was three main temptations that Jesus, that the, the devil put to Jesus, there's three main things that the Bible says for us to look out that I think cover almost every type of possible a, a temptation to you, and then it branches off into all these all these little things. But these are the root: the lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the flesh speaks of sexual perversion. Now listen, 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 listen. I did not who I, I I don't know who I'm preaching to. I just know God told me to say this. So if you're looking at me, it's like I can't believe He's talking about me. Well, then maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention because I'm not I'm not I didn't know who was going to be here today. Okay, so so one of the things that needs to be driven out of our temple is current fleshly sexual perversion, and that speaks of fornication. That speaks of yeah, you said that in church. Yes, I said that because I'm trying to help you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to keep you in a seat and, and say nice things so that you could keep coming back. I want you to keep coming back. I want you to keep coming back. But I also want you to be in eternity with us. I, I do. I want you to be in heaven with us. Sexual perversion. That's what the Bible says is the lust of the, of the, the flesh. Because we think the lust of the eyes is, is sexual perversion. No, the eyes are filtering something, but it's the desires of your flesh that are interpreting that desire of what you see into that perversion. All right? So anything that is sexual perversion needs to be driven out of the temple. Whatever, some things you see, some things you watch, some things you're doing, right? All these things that when it comes to sexual fleshly perversion needs to be driven out. The second thing that, that, that uh, in this still number one, the second thing that, that uh, is in our temple that needs to be driven out is the lust of the eyes. Now, the put that up there. Lust of the eyes is not 
uh, so much sexuality. Lust of the eyes is talking about covetousness. Covetousness, by definition, is the innate desire for material things that are abnormal for you. It's the insatiable desire for, for material things or another person's possessions. I was driving the other day, and I was like, Lord, I like that house. I want that house. And the Holy Spirit pricked, pricked me like, like you're, I, I understand my heart was like, I go, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. See, what happens is God doesn't mind you having things. He just minds things having you. He, he, he doesn't mind having you good things. Don't, 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 don't settle for a you know, messed up uh, car or a messed up house if you can afford better security. God doesn't mind you having these good things. He minds these things having you, having your heart. That's why money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. A lot of people misquote that. You know, brother, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's the love of money. Money is neutral, but it's what you do with the money, your heart behind that money, that makes it evil in your sight. That's why I dare to say this. The reason some people don't tithe fully is because they love money too much. That thing needs to be driven out of the temple. Your, your, your greed for money, your love for material things. Some, I've seen people get in debt just because they wanted something so bad. Right? It got quiet up in this Baptist church. Look at number three. These are all things. This, I'm still number one, so, so I'm trying to hurry, okay? Third thing that needs to be driven out of our temple, because Jesus is coming to the house, right? Look at the third thing. Ooh, pride. pride. You, know, pr- you know why pride is dangerous? Is because pride always blames the other person for your problems. Pride always, it's always the pastor's fault. It's always some other friend's fault. It's always, am I, am I preaching good here? It's always your family. It's never you, never you, never you. Oh, come on, church. It's never you. Pride is dangerous because it convinces you that all the problems that you have is another person's fault. Now, yes, there's a degree of people hurting you, but you have the decision to yield to that or not. Pride says it's always the other person's fault for your problems, never your own. Pride always blames others for your problems. Now, watch this. Pride always gets agitated when biblical correction comes your way. Now, now I said biblical correction, right? Because there are some people that correct you with a mean spirit that it's not biblical. But you know what? Biblical correction says, hey, brother, what are you doing uh, with that person that's not your wife? I love you, man, but you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, 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 sister, hey, sister, I love you, but you shouldn't be wearing something that's kind of exposing almost half of your body in church. I just lost a few people there. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm not saying you're doing it on purpose. I'm just saying it needs to be driven out. You can, what did, I just, what did I, I just read? You need to honor God with your what? Body. Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Pride gets agitated when loving biblical correction is present in your life. That's how you know you need to drive some things out. If you're always defensive when biblical, loving, biblical correction comes to you, then you have some things that need to be shaken, and the Lord wants to drive that out of your temple. 
You know, now that I talk about pride, we have to talk about the opposite of pride for just a little bit. There's humility. There's a huge need for humility in the body of Christ today. There's a huge need, especially as the, this presidential race and political, there are some, there are some really, really mean-spirited mean Christians all in the name of standing up for our country. Listen, before, I'm, I'm patriotic, but before we give more passion to our country, we need to give more passion to our God. And that's, that's just a fact. Look, look, look. You're, you're, you're not a Republican or a Democrat. You're a man or woman of God first. You're a Christian first. You're a child of God first. When we get our identity by some other things, then we have lost our identity. We've lost our identity. And so there is, you, listen, you, you know without, hum, you know what, you, well, you can't even receive truth while it's being spoken if you don't have humility. Because the whole time, if you're struggling with pride, which needs to be driven out of the temple, the whole time I'm preaching, you're like, that ain't for me. <laughs> right? Or, or we do this. You better hear that one. Hear that one. He said, he's talking about you now. <laughs> Number four. Number four that needs to be driven out. Everybody say driven out. Remember, the first thing Jesus did was not overturn. Oh, I'm going to get that in a second. He drove out things. Anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. I'll say that really quick. There are some people that you have some anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness that needs to be driven out of your temple. Or else you will be continually frustrated all the days of your life. You, you cannot worship God joyfully if you allow that to stay in there. If you allow bitterness and anger, you must deal with it. And you need to cooperate with God to drive it out from you. You need to identify it. You need to forgive those who hurt you, and you need to, and you need to mo go, mo move on. Because if those things stay in your temple, you will be decayed spiritually. And again, like I said before, you will be a cranky Christian. CC. You'll be a cranky Christian. There's nothing worse than a depressed Christian. There's nothing worse than an unbelieving Christian. How are you? Blessed of the Lord. What's <laughs> are you going to church today? Oh, no. I'm just so upset with everybody. No, that's not what God wants you to do. Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness needs to be driven out. Now, now lastly, before I go to number two, the, things, the, other, the last thing that I put that needs to be driven out of your temple. Now, this is going to hit home on some of you. Look at the fifth one. Bondage and addiction. Bondage and addiction. And that doesn't only mean drugs. It definitely does mean drugs. All right? But it means... <laughs> but it means... Bondage and addiction of anything. Now, what is bondage and addiction? Hone close to me. Hone, listen, listen close. Anything that is contrary to the word of God that you cannot live without is bondage or addiction. I'm going to say that very plain. Anything that you cannot live without that is seeking to dominate and control you that is not of God. I'm going to say that again. Anything that seeks to dominate, control you, and anything that you can't live without... That it's not the will of God or the word of God is bondage and addiction. You need to identify those things and allow Jesus to drive it out of your temple. Come on, Jesus is coming with zeal. You know why? Because he wants a pure bride. And if you feel like this message is like, oh my God, I can't believe this is hitting hard. Rejoice that you are here because God wants you to hear it. God wants the body to hear it. So the first thing he did, everybody say, the first thing Jesus did when he went into the temple was cleanse the temple. 
Now, the second thing that he did, now this is where we get the whole good story, right? Now, I want you to, this is a revelation now. The second thing Jesus did when he came into the temple was cancel everything, put that slide up, that was not in the will of God in the temple. And he canceled it by started overturning things. Now, I want you to really pay attention and don't talk in this time because this is really important. It's important for you to, to know the specifics of what Jesus overturned. He just didn't overturn some cloth. He didn't overturn um, some speakers, right? He didn't overturn microphones, even though they didn't have microphones. He didn't overturn rugs, right? Jesus was specific about what he overturned. After he drove out all these things that did not belong in the temple, the second thing he did, watch this, he overturned the tables with the money changers or the counters of the money that were in the sanctuary for the wrong reasons. They weren't there to worship God. They were there for self-gain. Okay? Now watch this. Now tables are symbolic of the things, oh, watch this, that they were counting on because it was money in there. It's symbolic of the things you and I are counting on or trusting on in the temple that is not of God. The table represents things that you are banking on. Things, oh, come on. Things that you are counting on. Things that you are trusting on that are not God's will for your life. Oh, Jesus, I need a better amen on that one. And spiritually, when Jesus comes into your house, he will challenge and frustrate and overturn everything that you're banking on and counting on that is not of his word. Listen, if you're trying to bank on happy on, on relationships to get you happy, you will be frustrated. If you are you could try all day to count on relationships and count on jobs, count on money. You could try all day to count on the tables that we're, that we're counting on, on even sex to get you happy, and you will not be happy. If it does not belong in the temple, you will be continually frustrated all of your life. You will continually be frustrated over all of your life. You could count all day, but if it's not designed by God to be in your temple... You're not going to be successful. There are people in the body of Christ who are counting on things right now for the happiness that has nothing to do with a vibrant relationship with God according to the word of God. Now, there's other things that we need, absolutely. But if we're banking, if we're counting on these things more than we are the things of God, we will not be happy no matter how much we, harder we run, right? And so he overturned the tables, which, which symbolized what we're banking on, what we're trusting on under God. Oh, no, I love this. And then, I, I used to miss this. He overturned the chairs. Now, it was tables, that what they were counting on, and chairs. Now, chairs are representative of comfort, of non-movement, of inaction, of staying in the same place because you're too comfortable to take responsibility for your spiritual life. Chairs, like you're sitting in now, speaks of you're not going anywhere but there. It speaks of a non-action. It speaks of comfortable, 
Comfortability. Why? Because when you're having a hard day, you're looking for a nice, comfortable chair to sit on. You know what God is doing prophetically when he comes into your temple and overturns the tables and chairs? He's trying to uproot and rise you from the state of passivity and comfortability for you so, so that those areas that you've allowed comfort. My brother Anoldi said that. Comfort was one of his enemies to do what God was telling him to do. Why? Because if you have good money, if you have a good church, and you have all that stuff, the tendency is just to sit down and just get um, spiritually fat, amen, and not do anything with all the things that you've learned in your spirit throughout the years. And so Jesus comes in and he overturns the, 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 the chairs. I look at, this, look at this next slide up there. Watch this. Spiritually speaking, when Jesus overturns the chairs in the temple, he's trying to get us out of the comfort zone that makes us afraid to take any action or responsibility for our spiritual life. When was the last time you fasted? When was the last time... You moved past your comfort zone? When's the last time you took a leap of faith? When's the last time you took a risk for the king, in the kingdom of God? When's the last time you trusted God and you stepped for, towards that place not knowing what's going to happen on the side, but you had the voice of the Lord behind you? When's the last time you got out of your comfort zone and started becoming alive? When's the last time you really became alive? As, as, as long as we're too comfortable with our life, we will never change. I'm going to say that again. As long as we're comfortable with our lifestyle, we will never change. Come on. You and I have got to start overturning some spiritual tables in our own lives. we got to start overturning some spiritual tables and some spiritual chairs in our own lives, and we've got to do it now. Say now. Now is the time of salvation. How many people say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And they never do it. There's a story about Jesus had, a, had a, the, two son, the story of the two sons. One of them said, look, I'm, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what you said I'm going to do. And then they realized, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. It's too late. I don't want to do that. And then another, another son said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what you say, Dad. And then as on the way, he got convicted, and he went ahead and did it. Right? The Bible says that the one who got justified is the latter one, the one that said no, but then actually did it. This is a time that we and you and I have got to get to that place. Oh, watch. Say amen. amen. Jesus is coming to the house. He's in the house. Now watch this. I love this. So first he cleanses the temple. Then he cancels everything that's in the temple that's not of his will by overturning things in the temple. You're the temple, right? You know the third thing he says? Oh, I love this. I love this. And I kind of mentioned it earlier. He, look at the third thing he says. When Jesus comes in the house, he clarifies who the owner is. <laughs> I love it. When he, listen, this, this has all happened in the temple. When Jesus came into the temple, the first thing he did was drive everything out that didn't belong to God. The second thing he did was start overturning things that were not the will of God. Then he said, my house. Oh, glory to God. He said, my house. He didn't say, your house. He said, I want to clear something up in here. The reason why I'm ze zealous for the furniture that's been there, the, the reason why I'm zealous and passionate about changing things is not because I'm a mean God. It's because I bought you with a price. This is my house. You're my house. If you read it, you don't, you don't have to believe me. Read it in yourself. Read that. After he says it, he goes, my house shall be called the house of prayer. But he, he, he clarified who the owner is. Newsflash. If you are saved today, you're no longer the owner. 
If you're saved, if you've given your life to the Lord, that's why some of you are so frustrated because you're, so, you're trying to live your life as if you were the owner. That's why you're so frustrated. You accepted Jesus in your life, and he's the owner. He says, my house. This is my house. That's why I'm zealous. I don't want that stuff in there. This is my house. What if we sang that old hymn, I surrender all, like if we were the owners of the house? It would sound like this. I surrender 75%. I surrender 50%. 50% to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender 25%. We're different levels, right? We're different levels of surrender. We surrender 75% and we think that that is going to give us some good success because we love God and we hear this little song and so we cry, but we're giving portions of our life to God and not our whole life. If you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you, your agenda is not your skin color, your ethnicity, your affiliation. You know what it is? is the identity that you are in Christ, right? And if you've accepted Jesus in your life, your life is no longer your own. Remember what I said? I'm I'm almost done the last point. Remember what I said in the beginning in Corinthians? He says, don't you know that you were bought with a price? The reason why the Lord can do that to you, because in Calvary over 2,000 years ago, he hung on a cross. Blood was shed from from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, and he bought you with his blood. That's why you and I have to have the fear of the Lord of, watch this, I'm going to say it really boldly, what you allow in your temple. He's coming to his temple prophetically, and he's wanting to deal with things that have been in there for a long time. And because of his zeal and his great love for you, he's going to start overturning things, and they're going to be uncomfortable for you. But I'll guarantee you, I'd rather let the uncomfortableness happen and me walk in humility than me to get, to get humbled. There's a difference. You either humble yourself under the mighty hand of God or you get humbled. Now, let me tell you something. If you get humbled, this is a sign that you don't want to yield, that you don't want to change, that you don't want to do anything. You just want to live your life. We'll have news for you. That's why you're frustrated because it's not your life. And if you're thinking that it is your life, you're not truly, really, 100% walking with the Lord. Because the Bible says, it's my house. Come on, say my house. Now, I want the worship team to come up here. Zach and the worship team to come up. This is going to be good. This is the last thing now. Now, watch this, guys. I saved the best for last. So let's review. When he comes into the temple, he what? He cleanses. Thank you. He cleanses. Everybody say cleanse. cleanse. Say cleanse. cleanse. Say it like your mom's about to hit you in the back of your head. Come on, say cleanse. There you go. Some of you got to have flashbacks. <laughs> Say cleanse. cleanse. Some of this is for you. The second thing that Jesus did in the temple is that he canceled or he overturned things that was not supposed to be in the temple. Right? Now, I want you to examine this also in your family as well because this is a dual message. Your personal life and your family, your home. Right? The third thing he did when Jesus went into the temple was what? Clarified who the owner is. He stepped back after, could you imagine that scene? He comes in, drives everybody out. Get out, get out, get out, 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 get out, get out, get out, get out. And then while that still happened, he's like, 
I can't believe this. I can't believe this is in my house. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now watch this. I never saw this before. Thank you. You could play in the background there. Now watch this. Look at the fourth one. Are you ready? He did all that to set you up for this. Zoom in on me. When Jesus comes in the house, in the temple, he heals the temple. <sighs> after the messiness, after the driving out, whatever needs to be dri driven out, after he cleanses, after he overturns things in the temple, after he declares who the owner is, you know what happened? The Bible says, watch this, I watch this, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. After, no, 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 I want you to watch that, I want you to read that scripture again. Matthew 21, put it up there team. Matthew 21, verse 12 through 14. Let's just read it one more time. I'm, co I'm coming to a close. Everybody say heal. See, the reason why he wants to get all this stuff out of you, even though you're resisting and fighting it, is because at the end of the day, he wants to bring healing to you. Please hear me what I'm saying. He does not do this to flex his muscles. He has an agenda. He's coming. He's overturning things in your life that you've had for years. He's wanting to do that today. But the reason he does that, watch this. Jesus entered, now, now let's read it with this new site. He entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Watch this, verse 13. He said to them, the scripture declares, my house, this is a wrong version, but it's okay. My house shall be called a house of prayer but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now watch this, are you ready for this? Here's the fourth thing, then, everybody say then. The blind and the lame came to him, I want you to shout this, in the temple and he healed them. Woo! After all the smoke cleared, after all the things happened and the, the house is now kind of calm, he says now, what is, going to, what is going to come out of the temple? Blindness, lameness are going to be healed. In other words, blindness speaks of those who are in darkness. Jesus healed physical and spiritual darkness in the temple. And then he healed lame. You know what lame speaks of? Those who are emotionally hurt because of their inability to walk. Those that are lame are emotionally hurt. So there's the, there's the blinders, the blinders that, that are blind and that are in darkness. And then those who are hurting, they're hurting because of what someone said to you. They're, you're hurting because of someone left you or abandoned you. You're hurting because someone abused you. And you, you've been left emotionally and spiritually lame. But Jesus says, after I've done all that in the temple, my goal is to bring the blind and the lame and heal them in the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual lameness that has been that has been striving in you and the spiritual blindness that has tried to overtake you are about to be healed by the Lord if you allow him to. I'm telling you, you have to address these things because ultimately Jesus 
is coming again to his house. We know that he's already in there in the form of the Holy Spirit. But this time, Jesus, the person, is prophetically coming into your temple and he's examining. He wants to drive things out. Listen, what is the definition of insanity? Come on, you know it. What's the definition of insanity? Come on, say it loud. Yeah, that. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's insanity. You have to allow Jesus to come into your temple in a greater degree. And you have, to some of you, you have to allow him to drive and cleanse you. Drive things out. And you have to admit that that's me. That's me. I need some cleansing. I need, I need to be pure in a lot of my areas. To some of you, you need to allow him to overturn some things, some mindsets that have been there for a long time that are not from God. You need, to, you need to allow him to overturn what you're banking on during COVID that is not of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And the chair, some of you are too comfortable in your walk with God and you're never going to do anything of significance unless your chair's overturned. Some of you is the third one. Some of you need to realize that he's the owner of your life. Stop delaying the call of God when he's the owner. Stop delaying your obedience because he's the owner. You will be frustrated if you try to do things like the owner when you're not the owner. And number four, there's some of you that the reason why he's doing this is to get your attention so that the spiritually lame within you, the emotional hurt and the, and the physical darkness that you're currently in could be healed in your temple. Can I hear an amen? So he comes to drive out, cleanse. He comes to cancel. Those things are not the word of God. He comes to clarify who the owner is and he comes to heal in the temple. Can I hear an amen? I want you to stand up right now all over this place. We're going to have an altar call today because I feel the Lord wanting to do something powerful here. How many believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them? Wave your hands at me. Come on. How many believe that the, Jesus is coming to the house? Come on. How many believe Jesus is coming to your house? If you're here and you're saying, oh, well, I, that was just a good message, then you've wasted your time. I want you to examine yourself after we, we, we sing. Can we sing something? We could? Okay. Well, I don't know. Christina's not here, so I don't know over there. I want you to right now to lift up your hands right now and close your eyes. And I want you to think of these four things. I want you to look, I want you to look at yourself as you being the temple. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine Jesus coming with zeal and fire to your temple. And I want you to think about, is he going to drive things out? Is he going to cancel some things that you're comfortable in or you're banking on that is not of God? Are you, are you trusting more in your bank account than the word of the Lord? Number three, some of you, he needs to clarify who that owner is again in your life. Your life is not your own. And number four, he wants to bring healing to many of you. Now we're going to sing real quick. And I want you just for the next minute or two, just want you to meditate on which one of this is you. Because I believe if you're saying, Pastor George, I need 
the Holy Spirit to overturn some things, some tables in my heart. I need, I need the Lord to overturn some, some chairs in my life. I need to, to be clarified in some things or I need to be healed. This is your moment today to answer because God is in the house. He's in your house. I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you to lift up your hands as we worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sound. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.